Eye on Arabia, reporting, analysis, and the occasional surprise from author and Middle East specialist Joseph Browdy. Oil-rich Saudi Arabia, the global capital of the hardline Islamist ideology known as Salafism or Wahhabism, has been inculcating the same teachings to its own young people that it exports to countries like Egypt. And yet Saudi youth are building up an intolerance for Wahhabism. Nasser Sarami is a co-founder of the Saudi Liberals online community. The spread of Wahhabi ideology that you referred to is a foreign concern. But for us, there is a greater problem. It controls our whole society. It presents itself as if it is the only voice in the society. But there are also other voices. And it is the right of these voices, whether liberal, left-wing, nationalist, or call it what you will, to express themselves too. Sarami explains that Saudi liberals came to their political outlook not because someone taught them about liberalism, but because they are tired of Islamism. It's what Afshin Mulavi at the New America Foundation calls post-Islamism, a sensibility he says has also evolved in his native Iran. Iranians, unlike Egyptians, unlike Syrians, unlike Jordanians, do not have romantic, foggy notions about what Islamic government might be like. They've lived through it. They've seen it. It doesn't deliver the goods. The price of bread and tomatoes and meat is higher. There is no greater political repression. And guess what? Clerics can be just as corrupt as secular autocrats. During the post-2009 Iranian election uh, protests, uprisings, uh, many young Iranians took to the streets uh, and they were chanting against the government. They were chanting against the election that they felt was rigged. But one of the more prominent chants they were using uh, was, forget Hezbollah, forget Hamas, think of us. Uh, and the, what they were saying essentially is that, you know, we're tired of our government supporting these radicals of the Middle East. We want them to support us. Liberals face an uphill battle in Iran as well as Saudi Arabia, where Islamists are deeply entrenched and firmly in control. Nasr al-Sarami. The Wahhabi voice, the extremist Islamist voice, or the Islamist voice in general in Saudi Arabia, is a legacy, meaning that it has been building itself up for decades and controlling the public discussion for decades. And yet liberals in the kingdom have begun to enjoy a power greater than their numbers, Nasser explains, because many of them are in the media, and the media space is freeing up thanks to satellite television and the Internet. Last year, the team of head writers for the Saudi TV comedy series Tash Matash wrote a script spoofing the Saudi religious police. It ignited a firestorm of controversy and opened a national conversation about whether disbanding the religious police might be a good idea. <laughs> I and many of my friends are convinced that Saudi Arabia is now in an important transitional phase of acknowledging the diversity of views inside the country. And truly, the secret is in the media, because the media industry itself, by its very nature, must be open to diversity, dialogue, and criticism, all of which are attributes of liberalism. 
When Islamists gained control of media in any country in the world, even now after the Arab revolutions or even in the future, when they gain control of the media, it ceases to be media. It becomes a pulpit for them to express their perspective, like any other pulpit, like a mosque. It becomes a place for religious preaching and not for media. And that's the difference. After millions of Egyptians and Egyptian military torpedoed Muslim Brotherhood rule in that country this past summer, the next staunchest Arab adversary of the Brotherhood is the government of the United Arab Emirates. On July 2nd, that small Gulf nation sentenced 69 alleged Brotherhood activists to prison on charges of plotting to overthrow the state. Human rights groups reacted harshly to the ruling. Amnesty International called the trial grossly unfair and charges bogus. In Washington, there is near consensus among think tanks and government research cadres that the UAE Brotherhood is a peaceful group and the government's charges are dubious. But scrutiny of the movement's writings, video productions, and social media shows otherwise. Senior UAE Brotherhood members have fought alongside an Al-Qaeda affiliate in Syria and helped establish new militias of their own. A leader of the organizing party has stated that it aims not only to fight the Damascus regime, but also to return home and wage war in the Gulf. The latter assertion may sound surprising in light of the conventional view that the Brotherhood seeks nonviolent change, but it's indicative of a new, growing strain of the movement that appears poised to rear its head in more countries than one, particularly in Egypt itself. Most Western reporting on the UAE trial has focused on the local Brotherhood chapter known as Al-Islah, formally established in Dubai in 1974 and legal in the country for decades before it ran afoul of the establishment. But a new group known as the Ummah Party, Hezb al-Ummah, created after the Egyptian revolution by an Al-Islah co-founder, more obviously demonstrates why the government there has been so aggressive in prosecuting the movement as a whole. Banned in the UAE, it is publicly affiliated with two other parties of the same name, one in Saudi Arabia, where it's also illegal, the other its flagship in Kuwait, where it functions openly. The group's ideological writings reconcile Salafism's borderless struggle for global Islamization with the Brotherhood's more tailored approach of transforming countries one at a time. This is, in essence, the founding vision of Al-Qaeda as articulated by the likes of Ayman al-Zawahiri and manifested by Arab fighters in Afghanistan who went on to attack their home countries and the West. Now a new battlefield appears to be fostering a similar convergence. On March 5th, the northern Syrian city of Raqqa became the first provincial capital to fall under rebel control in the ongoing conflict. It fell largely in the hands of the Al-Nusra Front, an Al-Qaeda affiliate now designated a terrorist group by the U.S. and U.N. Among the most celebrated martyrs on the rebel side of the battle, shot dead on March 3rd by a Syrian government sniper, was a former colonel in the UAE military and Ummah Party co-founder, Muhammad al-Abduli. He had previously been jailed back home on suspicion of recruiting soldiers to join the Brotherhood. Myriad Islamist publications report that Abduli had arrived in Turkey, with other UAE nationals a few months before his death and established a training camp. As word of his martyrdom spread, numerous co-nationals boasted of their connection to him, notably the current head of the UAE's Ummah party, Hassan al-Duqi, now a fugitive from the UAE, reportedly living in Turkey. Party leadership has signaled that its agenda for violent action goes far beyond Syria.
On March 31st, after announcing his own meeting with al-Nusra commanders in Syria, Saudi Ummah Party chief Mohammed bin Saad al-Mufarrih tweeted, quote, Be happy, O Arabian Peninsula, for more than 12,000 of your jihadist sons are in Syria, all of them sworn by Almighty God to your liberation, and even 12,000 cannot be defeated. End quote. The Arabian Peninsula is understood in context to mean Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. The quote at the end of the tweet is part of an oral tradition of the Prophet Muhammad, in which the latter foresees an army of 12,000 arising from Arabia to lead the Muslim world in re-establishing the Caliphate. Estimates of foreign fighters in Syria indicate that the number 12,000 is an exaggeration. But if only as a statement of aspiration, Mufarrah's words carry weight in light of the party's operational achievements. To date, two Islamist brigades in Syria, bringing together fighters from the Gulf, Libya, Egypt, Palestine, and elsewhere, have been co-founded and co-funded by the party's leadership. The Islamist Ahrar al-Sham and Liwa al-Ummah were established with grants from the party's Kuwaiti founder, Hakim al-Mutayri. The UAE Colonel Abduli is credited with having trained members of Ahrar al-Sham. The relationship between the Liwa al-Ummah Brigade and the Ummah Party also manifests on social media. Online, the brigade largely retweets statements by party leaders, and its Facebook page sings their praises. In some publicly available source materials alone give cause for concern that UAE, Saudi, and Kuwaiti Brotherhood elements have been using Syria to prepare for a violent campaign in the Gulf. While the Ummah Party also calls in its literature for peaceful rotations of power, it would seem, in light of its other statements and actions, that such claims are deceitful. Two years after the Arab Spring, the regional landscape is a mix of enduring autocracies, battlegrounds, and transitioning states in which an only recently empowered brotherhood now faces a popular backlash. It's harder for brotherhood elements truly committed to pluralism and civil society to make their case among fellow Islamists. In this climate, the likes of the Ummah party are poised to gain traction in the Gulf states and region-wide, particularly in Egypt. A supporter of ousted Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi, appearing on the Islamist satellite network Al-Yaqeen last summer, couldn't have put it better. Quote, I say to Egyptian army chief Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, he should know that he has created a new Taliban and a new Al-Qaeda in Egypt, and they will destroy you and destroy Egypt, end quote. At a million hits and counting on YouTube, the speaker appears to have hit a nerve. You've been listening to Eye on Arabia. If you'd like to learn more or get in touch, follow me on Twitter at J-O-S-E-P-H-B-R-A-U-D-E or browse www.josephbrowdy.com. On my homepage, you'll also find a link to my weekly podcast in Arabic, Risalat New York, as well as links to books, articles, and upcoming events. Music